Good morning and a happy Tuesday to you folks. Today I'm here to remind you that there are some leaders who have achieved high levels of success and are very unhappy and extremely ungrateful. They go through life with a pessimistic attitude and a sense of emptiness. They don't express gratitude. In fact, they pass their toxicity down to other people, infecting the workplace, infecting the family, infecting their friends and family, everyone around them with the toxicity. Just because somebody's successful doesn't mean they're a positive person or good for your life. Now, some days are harder than others. Gratitude doesn't make things magically go away. This is not an instant oatmeal type of situation, but it does put things in perspective. For example, it increases your self-awareness. So if you look in the mirror today and you decide you do not want to allow that toxicity into your life, benefits of gratitude will happen. You will start to become more grateful for yourself. And when you become more grateful for yourself, that's when life gets good, real good. Folks, I want to get this Tuesday going. Oh, yeah! It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spieth, joined by Sean Forbes, OG Directory. How are you doing, Sean? I'm great. Mr. Ken Hall with Missouri River Resources. He's the chairman, folks. He's also a member of the MHA Nation and a member of the National Indian Energy Association, which is a brand new association I just learned about today. So how are you doing, Mr. Ken Hall? Hey, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. So here's, here's how we met for the second time. I interviewed this gentleman 2016, 2018, impromptu interview. He just got done in a press conference. We're in the side press area. I think I was talking to your handler at the time. That's how important he is. He has a handler. Where were you? And over in the press area, that side room where they do press conferences. Here. Yeah, here at the in conference Bismarck. in Bismarck. Okay. Gotcha. So we do a quick 10, 15-minute interview, get an update. I normally get an update from the CEO, not the chairman. The CEO, Dave Williams, former... Fargo North football coach, Dave Williams. Baseball? Baseball. Baseball. Sorry, baseball. And, uh, yeah, don't forget the mic. (laughs) So Dave Williams, by the way, is my boyhood friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, so Dave normally gives us an interview. And, by the way, folks, and I'll let uh, Ken Hall talk more about it, but Missouri River Resources, their goal is to have a 100% Native American-run energy company from the secretary to the truck driver to the geologist to the chem fracas to the whole deal i just made up a new word the whole thing okay so we're walking in and i go chairman hall and here i thought it i i thought you were the chairman of the mha nation but that's not you is it no it's not who is it it was it's chairman mark fox currently mark fox who i met before well then you've got a brother his uh, name is Tex Hall. Cousin, yes. Cousin, and, and in the Indian way, of course, he's a brother. Yeah. Yes. He was and a former chairman. So I sat... And he's when a I former g- chairman. Yes. When I got on council, I sat two years with uh, Chairman Hall. And then the next two years, I sat with Chairman Fox. Okay. So that was my four-year term. So I sat with both of them for two years. Yeah. And so here, I've been working in the media for a long time. And, and your name, Tex Hall. Okay, Ken Hall. Tex Hall. Mark Fox. These names are interchangeable to me in the media. I mean, I... <laughs> Whatever. So I recognize him. 
Chairman Hall, how are you doing? Well, we're talking a little bit. He looks over at me and he goes, I think you got me confused with my cousin. <laughs> and I go, I might. And then we're talking some more. I said, well, you're on my advertisement banner. So here we are. It is. We did interview a few years ago. We figured out we got our bearings together. Boring story, Sean, I know. But for us, it was fun. And we thought we'd uh, bring nice everybody in. History. We also have Ken's picture on a, on a banner here. Right. At the booth. And yeah, that's that's that was cool. Some good history on that. So I, on I that told banner. the story so we could show the fi- the picture online and both. Uh, is it Chairman Hall? Well, Chairman of the of Chairman the, of the, uh, Chairman of the board for Missouri, yeah. Missouri River Resource, correct? Right, but yeah. I suppose if I say that, somebody might yes. assume it's MHA yes. Nation. Okay, and you can so just say Ken Hall. That's Ken fine. Hall. Yes. Okay, Ken Hall. There we go. Well, we got to make sure we're not offended. <laughs> I offend a lot of people very quickly. So I wanna, anytime I can reduce the offense. So anywho, let's get to what's going on with Missouri River Resources first, if you wouldn't mind. Just a quick update on how Native American energy extraction is doing these days. Well, that's a good question. Thank you for having me, by the way. That's a, That was a great uh, uh, intro as <laughs> well as uh, the little history on how we met. And, Long history. And uh, it's good to be here again. I know that I, I just had fun this morning networking. Getting to see old faces, yeah, wasn't it? Oh my goodness! Exchange business cards, Mm -hmm. uh, just say hello. How's everything going? It was really neat, and I'm glad they took a few hours this morning to do that. Um, So, as far as a quick update, uh, uh, we did like everybody else uh, on the downturn of the oil prices and the global pandemic. uh, We did a restructuring, and then uh, went to basically a skeleton crew, uh, a staff, and and uh, service people, uh, but uh, we're still being active. Uh, currently we have eight producing wells that we have drilled by ourselves, Indian owned and operated, Missouri River Resources. Wow, what counties and, are these? Well, uh, in? it's in, uh, in, uh, in McKenzie, okay. McKenzie, and then there's, uh, they're both in uh, McKenzie County, I believe, the, the both of the, uh, and it might be part of Dunn possibly, but uh, McKenzie County mainly, yeah. Um, but then going forward, I think what I heard through some of the folks here, I'm listening to Continental uh, Resources. Uh, the, they purchased Samson Oil out of Wyoming. You probably heard that. Yes. And then uh, Oasis uh, yep. just talked about uh, they purchased uh, QEP. Uh, and then, of course, Bruin uh, purchased uh, Interplus a few months back. So there's a lot of... Uh, you know what I call that? The calm before the storm. Calm before the storm. I seriously think that's a good, be a big. The well, summer's going to be amazing. Well, here's the here's the deal. Uh, we 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 are on kind of pause right now. We're working through some things right now as far as staff and going forward. And uh, I think there's an opportunity here. I just talked to con- some Absolutely. of the continental folks, and and so the theme we talked about is partnerships. Uh, you know, partnering together to to drill up acreage. And I think we're, we're right there. I think we're, there's an open door here, an opportunity for Missouri River Resources to, to uh, kind of look at some partnerships so going forward. I got a question for you. When you, let's say you engage with like a Continental Resources mm-hmm. or an Oasis. Now, they're going to drill on your land is kind of the first step, right? Well, that's a good question. Or are you now at well, the point where you can... We're at the point where the contract opera- out as yes. midstream. Yes, we're the operator. Get out of here. Yes. Awesome. Well, those four, those eight wells I just shared with you. Yeah. Missouri River Resources, of course, like contracted well, out, I just like those you photos. mentioned. Yeah. Yes. And completed, so we're and the now they're operator. producing. <clears throat> and here's the the, mm-hmm. the best part of that. So when we're the majority owner, as a native owner and op- operator, we're tax exempt. 
Oh. So the state of North Dakota would not be able to apply their extraction and production tax on us. So now would that be attractive? Would that be attractive for a partner? Turn right. So I got a similar story that's about cigarettes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> let's uh, let's go from the world to cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forty-five minutes south of Fargo is is uh, Dakota Magic Casino. Ah, okay. Yes. You, you're familiar yes. with. Yes, I've been there. Well, we did a story on Dakota Magic a number of years ago. I'm talking to the guy. He's telling me that their tobacco in the their shop. So many people drive from so many miles because there's no state or federal tax. Oh, wow. So you yes. can get a pack of smokes for under two bucks. R.J. Reynolds, Philip Morris had to call the casino and say, guys, you can't be selling this many smokes. Something's happening. Right, right. Well, people from 90 miles were loading up their trunk, bringing it back to the neighborhood and, and giving out packs of smokes for the, you know. You know what? Crazy thing about that? I went so to the, that, I, I went to the that's final. That's a relevant example. I went to the final four in Minneapolis. Yeah. And a taxi driver said that very thing. Yeah. He goes to Fargo to get his cigarette. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. He drives up there to get them? Well, they get cartons, not just one pack. Right. They, they, <laughs> right. they get cartons because it's hundreds of dollars of savings. So oh. if one guy is doing it for the whole neighborhood, well, yeah, you, you might as can, well. Can you imagine the taxpayer in downtown Minneapolis that had to pay for their uh, stadium? Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, no So kidding. that was one of the issues. The taxes are like unbelievable. So let's get back to the savings here because the oil and gas uh, industry in North Dakota actually has one of the highest extraction production taxes in the United States. Last I checked, it was 10.5%, 11.5%, 11%, something like that. I think it's a flat tax according to the state right now. Is that what it is? And then there's triggers that if it gets pulled, it goes away. So, and that actually happened in the last couple of years, I do believe. Mm Um, I would imagine that's very advantageous for you then to have to go in and say, "Listen, we're not taxed here, so that we got we got a little wiggle room." Yes. Play well, room to, well, let's let's think about that when you yeah, say let's. when you when you say the highest in the nation. Okay. One of them. Yeah. One of them. But we're in a Bakken. Yeah. Nobody else can say that. So, your rate of return. Right. I mean, it's pretty lucrative. So. I was you know showing I mean? Sean Forbes here, by the way, this Bakken oil. So we at the booth here, we have a um, what a flask, a glass perfume flask, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's straight got straight crude. Straight. This is right out of the earth. Yeah. Right out of the earth that has not been refined. I'll put a picture of it, maybe a video of it online. But this is you could actually put this into a old school diesel right. engine, in it, and it would actually and, run. And some of the farmers did that as a, as a as a as a, uh, a trial run. Oh, and, that's funny. And their machine right from the wellhead right into their machinery, and boom, just start it right up. Smoke like crazy, but it'll run. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> the other thing I wanted to make sure that the listeners understood when it comes to the difference between Native American energy and American energy, we'll just call it that, is that you have a whole different process that you have to go through to get a permit. Right. And... The way I try to explain it to people is that when I got into this industry, it was a 49-step process. Yes, correct. And then I know Senator Hoven was very active on trying to reduce the number of uh, steps, but now it's down to three or four different steps. Explain that whole process. Well, that's a good question. And we talked about it earlier. Uh, You know, if you were off the reservation and from signing a lease to getting your first royalty check, it was a four-step process. But now you enter the reservation because of the bureaucracy, uh, it was a 49-step process because of all the federal agencies that had to be involved. 
And a lot of times the right-of-ways would take up to six months to a year, and that was the frustrating part for, for a lot of the oil companies. And so we started early on a, a Land and Mineral Owners Association addressing some of these cumbersome uh, regulations. And at the time, Senator Dorgan uh, was the um, uh, chair of the Senate of Indian Affairs Committee and, uh, for, the, for the nation. And uh, there was a group of people that went to D.C. and lobbied and told them about this whole cumbersome process. And they came up with a one-stop shop concept. And it took 10 years, but it did happen. They have a service center in Denver, Colorado. It's called a service center, and where they streamline this whole process. And so that was some of the work early on uh, to to help with uh, the industry, and of course help with our land and mineral owners as well. Is how it? Much, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, how much time does that save with the one-stop shop process oh. versus the 49 steps? Well, you're talking months, I suppose. But if okay. you ask, it, yeah. I remember when I first got into this, it would take almost nine months. Oh to get that 49 step, almost a year. Versus, okay, if you were, let's say you and I, Sean Forbes, mm -hmm. on a private North Dakota piece mm -hmm. of three days. Right. Three days versus nine months to a year. That's what mm -hmm. I was told mm -hmm. 10, mm -hmm. seven eight right. years ago. Yeah. So part of that, uh, the understanding of that is the Bureau of Indian Affairs yes. is our fiduciary. They're the trust responsibility. So, uh, and so you have to go through their process, which is a governmental process. And, uh, but I think there's ways that uh, with the Bakken uh, and technology was the game changer, as everybody knows, was technology for the Bakken. And uh, they've become more efficient, uh, the, uh, the operators now, because early on it took, it was 12 to $15 million to, to drill one well. Now they got it down to probably six, seven million. Jeez. And so they have become very efficient. Very. And I think the whole process that we're talking about was very cumbersome early on. I think that process has kind of slowly developed into more, more of a smoother uh, and not as cumbersome as initially from the start. Yeah. Do you see that office moving to Grand Junction? Pardon me? Do you see that one-stop shop moving to Grand Junction? Because that's where the, uh, isn't that where they opened up the big BLM office out in Grand Junction? And Aren't they under the same kind of purview? Yes, yes. And, and our push back in the early days was these federal agencies because there were like field offices, yeah. right? And our push was to have them on site. Let's create a field office on site where all the activities at. Oh, that Doesn't sense. that make sense? Yeah. And so rather than mailing or shipping something or, you know, yeah. have someone right there. And I think that was our push early on. And we know that they came start coming more frequently mm -hmm. you know to speed up some of that process but yeah I think uh, the more that they can be uh, involved in, in a quicker turnaround the better for everybody the other thing that I'd like to talk about is the energy empowerment now I want to define the word empowerment because empowering is different than just giving somebody money or food right. empowering is actually getting them the tools and the ability to create a generational right. type of right. longevity for the family and their culture and their sustainability. When David Williams and I would talk about that, that goal of Missouri River Resources, that was a huge part of it was to empower a truck driver to go start his own business, to mm -hmm. actually empower the florist in the town of the oil and gas mm -hmm. because of just the impact. So we talked about not only the empowerment of the individual, but the empowerment of the community. How's right. that going? Well, it's going, it's going pretty good. 
And I think what you're talking about is uh, it's called nation building. Okay. And uh, Harvard Project and Native Nations Institute did a research back in 1986 on economic development in Indian country. And they had two models. One is the standard approach, and then one is the nation-building approach. What Dave Williams is talking to you about, about empowerment, that's exactly the nation-building model. You invest in your own people. Mm -hmm. You start; They start businesses right on Main Street, which we have done when I was on council. They start a arts and craft shop. They started a, a mother and daughter started a floral and a beauty, a, a beauty shop. Uh, there's a, <clears throat> a, a clothing uh, wear that a lady started, a, a coffee shop, another lady. So we had a handful of people Enrolled members start their own businesses right on Main Street. And so that's the nation-building approach. You empower your own people. And in and, and, and Missouri River Resource, that's the same concept. Hiring people that enroll, go get training to be pumpers. And so one of the gentlemen that I used to coach in high school at Partial High School, his father's on the council, and he's one of our pumpers. He's an enrolled member, and he's just, we did a tour one time, and man, was he slick. He knew everything up and down on that well site and all the monitors and everything. He was like a joy just to see a young kid just knew about everything about the, the industry from the ground up. What amazing, amazing opportunities. Oh, my goodness, yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think with North Dakota, it, we're in a unique position here. And I think we could be a model for the rest of the nation. When you talk about tribes, when you talk about the state of North Dakota, you talk about industry, the oil industry, we have collaborated mm -hmm. on many situations and lobbied at the state capitol for, for legislation to help improve the, 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 the environment and uh, to be more friendly to, to everyone. So it's a win-win situation for everybody. So this is a great model for the rest of the country, how tribes, how, how the state, government, how the federal government, and how the oil industry all can partner to make things work. I love the word empowerment because you're empowering people to be educated, to be part of a community, to thrive and learn. And without that, even in a family setting, you know, you you don't thrive. So right. the opportunity is... Well, there's a goal saying, Amazing. I thought about this with that education bill earlier we talked about uh, off air, but strong families create strong communities, yeah. which create strong states. And that's what it's all about. If we have a strong family, got their quality of life improves, mm -hmm. and they, they, they can make ends meet and be productive in a community, good citizens, your whole, your whole community thrives. You mentioned the federal government, you mentioned lobbyists, you mentioned a few things. How is the relationship right now with the federal government? I don't even know how to ask this question without getting into <laughs> politics because it's just, it's it, we're in a bizarre time. Really, we are. And I, I really actually, I, I'm worried about you guys because your company has done so much for so many people. And you've done so much for the nation in terms of an example that a swipe of the pen can just take all this away, and it really concerns me. Um, am I freaking out too much, or talk to me about what's going on on the federal level, because that has got to influence and impact you guys. Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind when you make that statement is the uh, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Interesting. I would have thought the yeah, federal yeah, land lease yeah, was the first. Because uh, I know Chairman Fox has been very adamant and yeah. publicly and, and in the media about if uh, what kind of impact that's going to have on our nation and our people if uh, that is shut down. Personally, my heart thinks that it won't happen. Mm -hmm. 
because the federal government has a moral obligation to us as native tribes and native nations. They have a moral obligation and a trust responsibility. And we have treaty rights. Mm -hmm. And so if you start there, that, that this oil activity, which we're blessed with to have on our land, is that we have had a, uh, I would say decent would be a word I'm using as a former tribal council member and now as a land and mineral owner and a chairman of the board for oil company, I'd say a decent relationship with the federal government. Could it improve? Of course. I think the relationship can improve. And I think um, with uh, Deb Hallen as our Secretary of the Interior, uh, it'd be good to have her uh, tour our reservation uh, and look at uh, the enormous activity that's going on, the economic development, uh, the, the people, the quality of life that our people have. Uh, you know, there's always an upside and downside. Everybody will tell you that there's an upside and downside. But we tend to focus on the upside and, and look at opportunities for our people. So the relationship, I think, uh, to answer your question, is decent, but it could improve going forward. You mentioned Dapple. Um, Native American, energy company, Dakota Access Pipeline. I don't even know if I need to ask the question, <laughs> but I will. Uh, what type of relationship just internally amongst the Native Americans are you guys going through? Do you have? I mean, just talk to me a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind. It's, it's well, when, when Dapple... Are there mixed emotions about yeah, it? Yeah, I think there is. To be honest with you, I think there is. There's uh, two sides of the coin, as so everybody says. Yeah, Two sides of the story. And I think from our point of view, of course, uh, our tribe, the majority of our tribe, uh, I would say, is pro-energy because it's right there, you know. Um, and then... But if you go to neighboring tribes, like uh, in the in the peak of Dapple protest, uh, we were there. We supported the tribe just as a, a nation to nation, just to help support. We're more of a yeah, and and then just you know we we you know, we don't we don't want to tell you how to do your job. You know we we're not you know we're just there to support your position. That's basically what it was. You were in the top position. Yes, yes, and that's basically all we did. And when we showed up, I think people, a lot of people were shocked that we showed up as a, as a, as a tribal council, as a nation, that's strength. A tribal yeah. leaders, yes. Right. Basically it was, we're here to support you. And whatever decision you guys make, you know, we're supportive of that. And So really, I mean, it's, the question, I guess, isn't as juicy as I thought it was. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the majority of your, your, your nation, your tribe, is cool with it. Some of the other neighboring ones aren't. And it's just like... Do you think it's a, an, an education education thing about oil and gas and the yes the value of it yes in terms absolutely. of you know safe transportation yes, of oil absolutely. and gas absolutely if you have a chance to interview travis hallam he's our uh, public uh he's a pipeline safety uh officer he's got a whole graph and charts that question you asked when when we had a number of truck traffic accidents on highways at a reservation when the boom first started because of lack of infrastructure. And he's got a chart that shows that it was on the uprise. But when Dapple came along and started operating, those deaths on the highway start decreasing. And he shared with a lot of people that if it was to shut down again, you're going to see this go back up again, right. deaths on the highways. One is too many. We know that. So the safest and quickest way to get oil to market is by pipeline. Right. And 
especially North but Dakota, because yes. you have very high, um, what's the word, when it's volatile. Yes. And you have to reduce the, uh, I'm trying to stable, you have to stabilize the oil. So you mm-hmm. have to go through extra processes. Yes. No, oil has a, is very... Vapor pressure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You have to reduce the vapor pressure and stabilize the oil so that it's safe to transport it yes. by train right. or by truck. And right. so with through a pipeline, you don't really have that same mm-hmm. volatility. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's the safest and most economically way to transport oil is, is through the pipe. And of course, well, I think that's a great question. But I think that for next, what's next for us is we're looking at going forward and, uh, and being diligent but also i think like i said earlier i think there's an opportunity which the theme around here this morning was partnerships partner together to develop and uh <clears throat> people have talked about oil plays in the past there's a number i think we started all probably 35 to 40 oil companies when the play first started on the reservation now we dwindled down to about 10 or 12. Huh. and so and some people tell you by the time it's all done and fully matured they're building about four or five hmm. You know, and I believe it. <laughs> I know. I didn't know that. Well, that's 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 the theme I heard all this morning. Really interesting. Yes. Like numbers. Yes. Right. I mean, it makes sense. It Let's does. all work together. Right. Why we're, not? Yeah. Well, I think it right now we're at a place where we have to because. Well, with the downturn, everyone ha- has right. had to lay people off, and right. you have a lean staff, and now you have to be yes. innovative and yes, come up I with d- creative ways. Absolutely. To I just talked to one of the uh, oil companies in Denver, and some of their folks are coming, but they said like, they have a restricted uh, travel uh, rule in their in their office right now. So I'm just, you know, of course, the speakers and keynotes are coming, but everybody else has to stay home. <laughs> so that's what you talked about. The, there's a lot of restrictions to a lot of the companies and they're looking at budget looking at uh, right well there was some there was a handful but uh, not not yes not like some tribes did oh and then navajo really got hit hard too yeah i don't think ours was as bad but there again one is too many like i said and and we had a few which was uh, unfortunate and our prayers and thoughts goes out to those families yeah how about with other tribes? Um, before we got on the air, we mentioned the Seminoles. We mentioned yes. the Utah Utes, who's probably, Utah probably has oh. got some great models. I tell you what, we had them at, models. yes, <laughs> when I was on the council, we had the Southern Utes come to our our, our economic uh, development summit. Okay. And when they walked in the room, I tell you what, these guys were some serious people. They were dressed to the hilts. They had their briefcases on. They had their trench coats on. Man, and they were, oh, man. my goodness. <laughs> they, you knew these guys were serious people. But uh, that's a, that's the sovereignty model Missouri River Resources is after. It is okay. Absolutely, and uh, they have a they have a model that uh, has worked, and uh, they're very successful. Very and successful. All about sharing the information oh, to help empower yes. the others. They empowered us. There is that word again. Yes, There's I love that, that word. They empowered us. That man, this this can be attainable. It can be achievable. And I think they more or less passed the torch to us. Uh, they gave in our in our custom. They we blanket people, and we had the Southern Ute logo, and they blanketed it. Dave oh. w- Dave Williams and I, and like it's like passing off the torch. Nice. Yes. I, I, I guess I, got chill goosebumps. I think that's incredible. I know. Yeah. It's, that's great. The other thing I wanted to make sure people understood too is that um, you guys are so serious that you went out and found. In basically an oil and gas college 
that specializes <laughs> in Native Americans. <laughs> I, I mean, such a thing. Farmington, New, New Mexico. Mexico. So there's a North Dakota, New Mexico connection. Right. Uh, t- talk to. Do you know much about that college or? Why well, I, I do not. Okay. And and Dave Williams would. Uh, Dave knew all. About yes, it. he knew all about it, and. Uh, and he, Almost like that was his job. Yes, it was a partnership, actually. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and and the concept's out there. It's kind of like Train North Dakota, yeah. basically. You know, it's, it's train up your people, bring them back, and get them, in, get them in on, the, on the field and, and on the ground and working. And, and uh, that's, that was the whole idea with, through that partnership. I thought that was a great oh. idea because it's a way to connect other cultures Absolutely. and communities yes. with the same interest. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it is a pretty tangible thing that's being absolutely absolutely you know, it's not like marketing where it's all intangible right and right so right that's why i thought it was really neat that you know farmington new mexico uh the college and, and everything like right that. So, right uh, are you guys looking outside of north dakota one day or you got so much acres and, and reserves in north dakota that that's going to keep you busy for the next 20 years well i think going forward and looking uh, down the road somewhat i think uh, there there may be some opportunity there that'd be awesome and uh, and just to just to know how big the bakken is it's a global play right everybody understands that and we had the president of argentina contact us because they had a big oil play in argentina but it was on indigenous land and they wanted to find a model how they could work with the indigenous people. And who did they reach out to us? Missouri River Resources. To be a, to be a bridge. <laughs> yes, how do absolutely. We do this? They said, how do, we, so, how do we do this? When you think about this play, right? Oh, I mean, it is amazing. So I mean, going from being you know, a Native American to all of a sudden international consultant. Uh, right. Within wow. Years. Or right? just a third party provider to another tribe. Right there, you go. So I think uh, what everybody talks about the Bakken early on, they ran out of superlatives to describe it, and and the potential here is enormous. I'm going to use that word because if you look at that red power energy that was on Perry Public and Dave's in there and Kara Curry Hall, myself, uh, it talks about that. It's enormous. And the potential in Indian country is enormous when it comes to national security, when it comes to energy resources. We're like, we're a big deal. <laughs> yeah. We're a big deal. All right, so last question here. How can we, and by we, you and others, help get the message out there? Because you've got an amazing story. And I personally think this is the type of story that should be said, that, that should be told on the nightly news, okay? I'm serious, because <laughs> right. there's so much good happening. Right. And, again, not even the whole, you're Native American and you're an oil company. That alone is front page news, okay? Right. So, right. outside of, you know, little old shows like Crude Life and <laughs> President of Argentina, you know, this is <laughs> How do we help get the message out there? What can people do? What do you want people to do? What do you want Whiting to do? You know, that kind right. Of thing, you know? I think it, what you're doing right now is just interviewing people, getting on the airwaves, and then if it's uh, conferences like this, you know, uh, just letting uh, people know who we are. And uh, Dave Williams, you see, they will probably get interviewed here in the next few days. And I don't know if you have a chance to uh, interview Chairman Mark Fox, who's also on the board of directors as well. So it, it's just uh, being involved, being good neighbors, being good partners. And I think uh, getting the word out and uh, just letting people know who we are. And 
because it is a success story. Uh, it was an idea on paper with my boyhood friend Dave Williams. Idea on paper. And boom, here we are. I love what you've done. I love your message of enrichment and education and training and strength in your community. Oh, man. I wish you guys all the best. I'm, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes. Morning Show Play Hard Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Play Hard Work Hard is sponsored in part by American Directional Driller, especially designed for the American Directional Driller to measure bottom hole assembly equipment up to 40 feet. As of release, this product is unmatched in the marketplace. This heavy-duty 40-foot tape measure has three measurement scales on an extra-wide blade. Pick up this 40-foot tape measure at Amazon.com or be sure to check out their website, AmericanDirectionalDriller.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. We've got uh, Mr. Uh, Stephen Hines. He's also known as the uh, professor. We used to do the weekly word a number of years ago when we tried to get some momentum going on there. And uh, every now and then, and then he had uh, some health concerns. I had some health concerns, and we had to go fight our health battles. And then we had to go and take care of the whole COVID small business thing. And, boy, you know, it's just a couple of cascade. A couple of guys with some war stories to share, but uh, uh, battle scars. Mr. Stephen Hines, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jason. 
that nice introduction. Well, thank you much. Uh, By the way, Sterling's joining us today. Oh, who is Sterling? Do I know Sterling? You've never met Sterling. Now, Sterling's a co-host of the morning show, Play Hard, Work Hard. He, oh, okay. Uh, he grew up in Saudi Arabia. He lived in Dahran, which was an oil base city, actually, owned by Standard Oil, which then became Ramco, which then became Aramco, which is now Saudi Ramco. <laughs> so, so he's never worked a day in oil and gas, but he actually grew up on an oil base, so he literally grew up in oil and gas. And how did you two find each other? Uh, we met uh, around town. He lives in the uh, Fargo-Moorhead area now, and so we met uh, through some mutual friends and a number of different He drew, actually, Uber Eats. Yeah, I was delivering food to him. <laughs> <laughs> but his, your dad lives in here now? Is that the deal? Yeah, my folks live around in this area after they retired from overseas, and uh, I have my own business in this area, and yeah. Jason's roped me into this insanity, and it's been a good, good trip so far. Got a family lake home near Fargo, and uh, yeah. his dad worked for Ramco for how many? 20 yeah, almost years 30 years. Yeah. Almost 30 years. Jesus. Yeah. Well, yeah, so Sterling is our international audience. I am the local audience, and then I rely on my guests to be the national audience. Mm. <laughs> the 5,000-foot hey, view. really good with the guests, by the way. Uh, you know, you're building a nice uh, rapport with people and important people. Well, we do our best here, that's for sure. Well, well your best is pretty darn good. <laughs> now the problem is well two problems uh, one you're up in North Dakota where you know uh, nobody knows where you are you know I think you'd be more of a star if you were someplace else <laughs> uh, but I uh, also think you know I, I love North Dakota for what it did the last 10 years but I am not surprised by your stories you know saying that uh, it's become much more political here in North Dakota uh, oh, I think that's I think that's any state, though, really. Uh, well, I think that you know, you know, the whole world has gotten more political over the last year or so. I I don't like I don't like it. I don't like where everything is politicized. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But that's that's the way the world is. So let's talk about some of the things that are changing in the world of oil and gas. Of course, uh, your business, your consulting business, your. Uh, you know, talk about that a little bit because p- part of what you do is you like to send out some uh, media uh, headlines and stories when it involves, you know, certain things. And, I, you know, I noticed that, you know, you'll actually send them out to certain people that it's relevant to them. So if it's something that's not relevant in their world, they're not included on the list and et cetera. So the ones that I've been getting recently are uh, ESG, environmental social governance, that new buzzword that everybody's into (laughs) now. And, you know, it's been fun because, you know, you and I, we've been talking about this for years, actually. And so it's been quite fun because, you know, you've been uh, kind of a, oh, I don't know if, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want to say a naysayer. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Thomas. Okay, doubting yeah, Thomas. You've been, that's a good one. Yeah, I didn't want to say naysayer, yeah. negative Nelly, more of a doubting Thomas, you know. And honestly, I think it's a kind of a, a dot com bubble type of a, a scenario. And so I, I think there is going to be some legitimate business to be had. Right. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, but 
it's, you know, the whole area is just ready for one big lawsuit after another. <laughs> uh, and it has, you know, all to do with full disclosure. I mean, it opens up so many different boxes, you know, to my mind, including um, the uh, measuring and verifying and, and proving that you're doing it each year going forward. I mean, there are all kinds of legal you know, uh, ways to, to uh, for people to game this whole idea. Where That's I think, where I think there's going to be an interesting conversation. I hope instead of uh, just telling us the way it's going to work, is it seems like they're coming up with an ESG score or some sort of subjective way in order to you know delegate and relegate and monitor. Uh, banking when it comes to oil and gas. Have you seen that? Yeah, you know, I'm highly suspicious of that, too. You know, I mean, uh, there's an awful lot of, uh, let's say, number counting when uh, when the reality is, uh, you know, it's it has nothing to do with what's going to happen tomorrow and going forward. So I don't, I don't like the banks, you know, SEC will not come up with a final uh, definition of ESG. And why? Because uh, they, their requirement of all investment advisors is that they, uh, they don't have a third boss. That they, they work for the people who invested the money and they're there to make money for them for retirement. And deciding whether it's a good investment or not, is not just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I mean, you know, at the bedrock is going to be just the way pensions have always been, and that is a very uh, a third-party entity, but it has certain requirements, and they're really uh, they're down to numbers, financial commitment to customers, fiduciary responsibility, whatever you want to call it. Climate uh, and, envoy John Kerry, your thoughts? Uh, well. You know, and and the other thing is, you probably have seen this. They're they're making more money off of these products, these ESG products, that is, financial houses, than they are of other parts of their portfolio. Well, I mean, honestly, climate envoy John Kerry. I mean, your thoughts because <laughs> it it seems like he's the one leading the leading the charge. <laughs> I John Kerry, what a story, huh? Um, uh, you know, excuse me, excuse me, climate envoy, John Clary. John <laughs> Kerry, Clary. Uh, I didn't even pronounce his last name right. <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. I, I am so disappointed with the climate team that the president has put together. You know. Uh, well, that one gal, of, she's uh, she's really extreme. The, is it McCarthy? Yeah, Gina McCarthy. She's got a pretty good history of uh, of some pretty extreme behavior. Well, you bet, you bet. You know, and I mean, you know, her resume is, you know, head of EPA, uh, NRDC, uh, Harvard. Uh, you know, so credentials, you know. But the problem is, she. So in There's the bit in the. In, in the construction business, we used to call people like that velvet, clo- velvet glove builders. 
and generally it was a third generation uh, uh, builder, and meaning that they've never picked up a hammer. They, 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 they're, Just reap you, the benefits. Oh, you shake their hands, and it's so soft. It's yeah, like they wear yeah. velvet gloves their whole life. And honestly, I think a lot of the decision makers right now, because of, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not trying to get political here, but. I'm not either. Um, but, but, you know, when you talk about term limits, right? Well, a lot of these people in power have been there my whole life. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So when I think about things and they keep talking about these problems getting worse and worse, well, that's on their watch. That's on their watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so why are they the ones that are supposed to lead me out of this? These velvet well, glove leadership. Yeah, hey, there's yeah. another one. Velvet, velvet glove, glove leaders. We got to write that down. But Sounds like so, a Rolling Stone song. Uh, um, the, what I'm getting at is that it's very difficult when you've got some people like, you know, John Kerry, Gina McCarthy that are going to be setting the well, standards. John Holdren, there's a hole, you know. But they're out of touch is what I'm getting at. They're out of touch. Oh, no question. Well, it, they were never in touch. They don't know. They don't know business and they certainly don't know the energy. Business. No, in fact, I'll even give you a Republican example. You go back to George Bush Sr. And what kind of did him in when he started losing to Clinton and I'll never forget this because as a kid, I wasn't very—I wasn't old enough to vote at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the news, they did some story about where he went to the grocery store, and oh, the um, milk. Yeah, it was the milk. Yeah. But it was the look on his face when they did the scanner. Oh, that's right. Like he had never seen a scanner yeah. before. Like it was. He was amazed. First, it was the first time he'd ever been in a grocery store, yeah. and that's what did him in. Was he was that out of touch? Like he had never been in a grocery store. Nope. Kind of like when Giuliani tried to do the sex party uh, garden shop. What was that? What was that deal? Uh, what? What, what was the name of the place that he that they they were going to do the press conference? Oh, the Four, four Seasons. Four Seasons Sex Parlor. Yeah. That's <laughs> you're, you're, that's how out of touch you are. Right. Where it just, it, it, nothing goes. It's clearly, drop the ball. <laughs> anyway, that, 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 that's so. Th- well, there's a there, there's a couple other side examples. Yep. That's where the I think we're at with Bush, the climate. Though, Go ahead. Could be argued the older Bush really suffered as much from yeah, an ec- economic downturn at the time that Clinton was sort of uh, you know on the rise, and I you know I I think it was you know. Uh, uh, the U.S. held George uh, Senior responsible for the economy, and he failed. Well, so probably the off. biggest, the biggest we downfall. Chance, we, we took our chance on a guy who, you know, a, a governor from Arkansas. Who, I mean, give me a break. It's sort of like a like a farmer from Georgia. <laughs> right. How dumb was that? Jeez. Well, I, I think uh, read my lips, no new taxes. <laughs> that that probably was was really the the. Yeah, beginning that, and the that, end, you know, yeah, really was, at the end was, of it. But, that was key too. but let's get back to ESG here because, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the reason I bring up those examples, because, you know, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm an equal opportunity offender. So, <laughs> what, <laughs> and, and so what I'm saying is that it seems like the people in charge are the ones who are the most out of touch. Yeah. And that's very dangerous for, for Americans. Well, I you, there's just no way. There's no two ways about it. It's very dangerous, you know. So you start thinking about Keystone. All that money buried in the ground is now just another stranded asset, mm-hmm. and he threw it away like it was a, a a used cigarette. You know how? You know what is going on? Uh, you know, and it, I, it's it's the political side to this. You know, I think that. He hired McCarthy and he hired John Kerry 
because of the political influence inside the party. If anybody, if anybody wants to go to the Crude Life or YouTube and check out some weekly words, uh, they can hear uh, Professor Stephen Hines complaining and shouting about <laughs> Gina McCarthy five years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, ab- I, I remember hey, you hey. screaming about her. Well, I wrote an expose that's still good. I sent it out. Uh, I hauled it out, you know, after she got in. Uh, she got in the White House, and I and I dusted it up a little bit and sent it out again. How many? How many? How many errors and uh, uh, malfeasance she was a part of? You know, including informational malfeasance. The EPA hid all kinds of studies during during her reign. And they wouldn't let anybody see them to find out how they establish policies within the EPA. To this day, we don't know what they use to come up with their uh, their regulations. Hey, I got a unique question for you. Yeah. Your background is, uh, as far as like your coming-of-age business background, would probably be communications and telecommunications. Is that probably yep. right? That's right. You were... Um, part of a, a big lawsuit in terms of at least research or part of something or another that did with AOL oh, yeah. or what was that oh, all about? Well, the largest merger in the history of the world. That's it. $66 billion. And uh, they, you know, they made a big deal of it, of course, AOL, Time Warner. And that's when they were actually worth some money, $466 billion. Anyway, I followed them very closely and they kept promising to the public, well, uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna allow access to the other internet providers. Well, nothing could be, have been farther from the <laughs> truth. I got my hands on what, what people were calling the naughty document. That was the document AOL Time Warner sent out that that you that gave you a chance to get on their cable network, and it was the, the conditions were so onerous. Uh, I got my hands on that document, and finally. I guess I'm trying to think. Oh, the guy who got it for me had signed a non-disclosure. So as soon as Earthlink, that's the name that's from, you know, that was the second largest ISP after uh, AOL. As soon as they started releasing some of the terms of the document, I hand carry that document into the chairman of the FCC and the Federal Trade Commission. I had somebody in Washington arrange a meeting and I flew out there one day and kicked their butt. <laughs> Proved they were everything they were saying was a lie. The merger fell to well, I think one oh nine, and I mean they just stepped they just stepped in so much of their own mess. But I caught them red-handed, so that's my that's my little role in that uh, whole <laughs> drama. What what was and your what, what was your post what was your post mortem so to speak did you have a book written on that or did you interview oh or? yeah yeah there, there is a, yes it's called Stealing Time and it's a good book actually it's a good history about that era when we were just uh, when uh, cable and telephony were starting to do internet you, you had uh, high speed what was it going to be done by DSL which was on telephone lines or cable mm-hmm. as it turned out. Cable won that battle almost from the get-go. Yeah, uh, yeah, almost like because the the tables were almost were were rigged out of the gate almost. Yeah. Well, and it was their own money. The difference between the uh, telcos and uh, 
the cable industry, and all of the money that the cable industry has is their own dough. Where, you know, the telcos, you know, I mean, that's, that's government as it's, it comes. Yeah, a lot of subsidy money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually, exactly. I'm glad well, you... But, but the technology was really, what you know, the breakthrough was, it was so much easier to uh, to wire cable to do high speed and, mm-hmm. you know, start going up to 5G and all of that stuff. It's much easy, easier to scale than it is to do... Uh, you know, through tele- telephone companies. So this is actually why I wanted to bring you in because uh, we. I do want to talk about ESG, of course, but I did want to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did want to talk about your background with telecommunications, especially when it came to AOL, Time Warner mergers, your behind the scenes involvement, but also. Kind of, you know, it, we're talking about a couple industries here that got merged together around that time with uh, yeah. telephones. You know, we're talking Pac Bell and all yeah, these exactly. all these regional monopolies going away, getting bought out, etc. So, you know, little factoid: I may be the only guy you know who read the Telecommunication Act from 1996 twice. <laughs> Did you say twice? <laughs> Yeah. I, I can guarantee you you were the only person and that that includes the author of the bill 5000 pages holy moly so holy so the, the reason though because the, the, that was truly a historic paradigm shifting time because what what we're talking about is the merger between tele telephone and internet okay yep. At, at that time, you know, I know it took 20, 30 years for cell phones and people to understand what was well, going 96 on. 96 was still early but, but, days. But th- that's when it happened was back yeah. then. That's when it happened. No I believe well, I that's what's going on in oil and gas right now hmm. is I, I believe we're having a merging of technologies oh, we are. We are. That, that is very similar to what happened in the telecommunications. So well, you're having monopolies that are becoming duopolies. Duopolies, yeah. just just like in telecommunications, AOL, Time Warner, for mm-hmm. example. I and so my only question is: is are you going to see like? Um, oh, go ahead. What? Yeah, there may be. They may have to do some trust busting with them. But I call it the Internet of Everything, and that is how uh, we are going to be able to communicate with the world in a very intimate way, even if you're in the middle of Africa. Are you on your Bluetooth or speaker? Hang on, hang on. Pull up in your speaker a little more. Okay. There we go. There we go. That's that that's where that's the sweet spot. Go ahead. Repeat okay. yourself. Okay. Uh, but um, we are going to be able to do telemedicine. Where, I mean, and the efficiencies, Jason. To me, I, this is in the energy utility sector, especially. But the efficiencies, we have yet to scratch the surface on uh, emission reductions through. Uh, really powerful energy efficiencies in many parts of the world. You know, the, the, the larger cities that are still less than developed, they still have very primitive uh, technologies in their, in their workplaces, lighting, things like that. We're not even close to, uh, you know, and I used to say energy efficiency is the quickest, cleanest, cheapest way, to, new source of energy. It's the energy you don't use. I never thought of that before. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of uh, te- like telemedicine is a great example because yeah. uh, Obama signed that actually telemedicine that was part of Obamacare was the was the acceptance of telemedicine mm-hmm. 
and that well, allowed. Didn't even get the webs, remember, he didn't even get the website right. So yeah, that, and that's he, that's he was that's all. Inspirational. He didn't really do much, but no, but that, but that was part of it. Was was the acceptance of that because that allowed that allowed you know medical never you know not to do that before. So, mm-hmm. um, well, the only reason I know that is because. <laughs> You ready for this little sidebar? Yeah, a little, little factoid. So a, f- a friend of mine, all right, so you got to be at least 18 to listen to this story. Uh-oh. Yesterday we talked about international drug smuggling. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry, uh, not drug smuggling. Knife smuggling, I not think it was. Knife was smuggling. It stilettos? We- weapon smuggling. <laughs> so today we'll talk about interstate drug smuggling, oh, okay? Geez. So a, a friend of mine, uh, she, she called me up and she mentioned this company in California that apparently would send you cannabis in the mail because of the Obamacare Act of telemedicine. Okay. So you could do a Zoom, and this is back in 2018, okay? You could do a Zoom call or whatever, you know, FaceTime or whatever the case, whatever it was. And some, you know, hippie California doctor in sandals and beads in the background. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was, it was a little like, too on the nose. It was like a legit doctor, you know, this and that. Right. But if you had a certain... California approved symptoms for cannabis and you would get a California red card, you know, whatever. You got to go to Illinois, by the way, if you want to see the uh, a brave new world. All right, you, you wait your turd pot head. Hang on here. Okay. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, but they, what they would do I'm is telling you, they're very sophisticated down there. But they would if you had a California red card, they would mail you in the U.S. mail. Man, they that's would, convenient. They would mail you different things. So what she did is she started with uh, uh, edibles because okay. that, of course, doesn't Easy. smell right like yeah. like marijuana. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So then the next and and but here here's the part that gets even better. It was like a monthly subscription. So <laughs> it's almost like a pyramid scheme too. Oh man, I get you. So I, I and she's telling me this and I'm just enabling the shit out of this. Oh girl. hell yeah. It's not me on the line. Yeah, I want to see where this yeah, goes. See, see what you so get the out next of month I, and she's going through the catalog and I'm thinking, oh yeah, order the tincture. Yeah, do that. Do yeah, that. See what so they they did they said nice packaging. Wow. It comes you know, like like those essential oils mm-hmm. come the whole deal. You that bet. Oh, the, the fold over the whole deal. We're living in the golden age of instant delivery. Month four comes, she calls me. She goes, you know, no problems yet. And I'm going, you got more cojones than I do, and I'm a male. <laughs> all right. And she goes, uh, all right. So uh, I'm going to yeah, try. What's fl- next? I'm going to try flour. It came. Okay. It came. That came in five, six, seven states, whatever. No problem. No problems yeah. at all. And apparently it's all on the up and up legal because of the uh, different proper steps that were taken. I wonder if they're even looking for it at that point. Well, I asked her for a checklist and I never got it. All right. So <laughs> so what's going on in Illinois? Speaking of which, is that a well, problem? Because you're, know, but first I mean, of all, you're in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, but you know, I'm only uh, two, two hours from Chicago, you know, an hour from border well they've uh, uh they've legalized marijuana and oh yeah i know so, yeah yeah uh, and so uh uh you know all of a sudden you have all of these sort of interesting products that they're coming out with my friend <laughs> uh, uh by the way for me <laughs> by the way um but, Ster- but, sterling and i ran across a story 
Hey, by, by the way, Sterling and I ran across a story about how that industry, which yeah. has always been taboo, because, you know, they got drug testing and right. just that whole thing, has been a boon for the oil and gas industry because it uses up so much energy on the grid. <laughs> no, that's right. That's true. And because of all the plastics yep. they need for hydroponics. Yep. Well, there's a reason why the states are, you know, illegalizing right now. It's, it's, it was because of the Colorado experiment. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, where, uh, did, they, did, they, they, they legalized pot, I want to say, 50, uh, 2016. Step up to the mic. experiment. Step up to the mic again. Okay. Uh, is this better? Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, and so they decided they were going to legalize it and, you know, charge a tax, of course. Uh, revenue. That's just that's all it was, just revenue. Well, the first year, the state brought in $350 million <laughs> from their tax, <laughs> now, which is one of the things all the other states are paying attention because everybody's having trouble raising taxes. Well, that's one of those sin taxes that everybody's happy to pay. Although, as a side note, the illegal business in Colorado is thriving also, not just the legal business. Oh, it's out of why? hand in Washington. Well, well, why? Because they can they only they can charge 20% less than the state. <laughs> what happened in, in Washington is they charged too much. So they were charging like 500 an ounce. So the black oh, market. Yeah. Right. So the black, <laughs> so the black market was like, cool, we yeah. were charging 300. Yeah. So they upped their price to 400. Oh, geez. So the black <laughs> market flourished yeah and so uh and and here's an interesting fact actually because i did actually write for uh several uh cannabis publications and (laughs) well during the downturn actually i didn't know that so during the downturn i had to you know i had to figure out other other revenue streams i um because i had covered drones and uas since 2006 i thought for sure, I would get some sort of opportunity in the world of UAS. I got shut out fast, faster than me at prom. You know, I mean, like it was, <laughs> I was shut down. So that industry is so controlled, okay, so controlled. Right, right. So then I tried the healthcare industry. That's really <laughs> controlled, right? The only industry that gave me an opportunity was the cannabis industry. There you are. I had three different publications send me back uh, emails that said, yeah, we'd be interested. So I did basically uh, uh, a a couple medicinal cannabis stories, which worked out very good because of my cancer battle, actually. Sure, actually, yeah, relevant. It it was almost like godsend, to be honest. Yeah. And then the other one was I did uh, for, uh, I'll never forget this, because the name of the publication was... uh, uh, um, Marijuana Ventures. It, it, it was all for startups for cannabis, and they wanted me to do a political overview in 2016. So it was kind of an overview of the states yep. that had it on the ballot and this and that. So I actually became very Ver- well-versed. Yeah, yep. somewhat in tune yeah, with, with, well, what, yeah. with, with that industry. And so I found, but from a very technical and legal and political, but because I came from oil and gas, I had to be extremely careful, right? Because oh, of the taboo gosh. factor, yeah, the mixing. It's kind of like when I MC the Bach and barbecue. I can't let anybody know I'm a plant-based vegan freak. You know, <laughs> well, I'm not actually vegan because I eat honey and wear wear leather and that sort of thing. It's it's all. 
Anywho, well, I, I can't even remember how we got on this this little little sidebar thing. How do we get on this? Yeah, you you did it all on your own, pal. Yeah. Congratulations. We're not even broadcasting from Colorado this morning. Oh, it was the illegal drug trade. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. So smuggling. What, so what I found out was that the, the the state of Washington got a little greedy with the taxes, and they put such a high tax on there. That when you know they walk out, the ounce costed like five hundred dollars, yeah. and the illegal drug trade was only charging three hundred. And so all the cartel got together and said, "Hey, dude, let's up it by a hundred yeah, bucks. Let's raise our prices, and, and and we're doing the government a favor." Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Anyway, that that's. Well, kind of. <laughs> but on the flip side, Massachusetts. Uh, what Massachusetts did is they figured out a way to. Uh, Change Colorado's law by changing the THC to gram ratio that actually worked out better for taxes on both ends. Oh, I hadn't yeah, heard all, about that. Yeah, oh, all sides benefited. Well, so you're, you, you are, you're an intellectual. Hey, I should really put you in touch with my... I have uh, two friends out in... Uh, one's down in Florida, one's out in New York City. But they are doing uh, uh, a startup marijuana company. No, I don't need to be in touch with them. No, I'm okay. I don't. I don't no, invest no, in I, that. What no. I mean by that, what I mean by that is, they're venture capitalists. That's why they're doing. It. Oh and yeah, I see. They, and uh, they could really use. I mean, you you have a lot of uh, knowledge about all of this. I suspect you should. You know, there might be something there for you. Also, just as an aside, you know, because you know, uh, uh, it's coming, Jason. And good PR people in this area are going to make some dough. I would, um, yeah, I'd be open to that. I mean, I, uh, I, okay. I did it for two years basically out of necessity because it was the only industry that gave me opportunity. So I learned a lot, yeah. um, which is, it, you know, and that's interesting because, you know, it's a lot like what oil and gas is going through right now is that if you go work somewhere because it brings you opportunity, you can get a stigma now, like a scarlet letter that's normal, like that. Hi, I work in oil and gas, baby killer. Right. You know, it's like, hi, I work in tobacco. Oh, you killed my grandpa. Well, it's like the thing we were talking about with oil and gas movies, remember? What's that? It's a sad time for... It it is. You know, there's an anti-intellectualism that's going throughout the land that really just drives me crazy. How did you guys deal with that? I mean, because, you know, I was... So the guy who does our voice uh, work, Brad, right? He uh, he's an old school hippie, to be honest, you know, and, and he got arrested for protesting a number of different things. He had long hair and right. that he, he was uh, in Minnesota in Minnesota. OK, back in the 60s. And he could remember not getting served at a restaurant mm-hmm. because he had long hair. And like <laughs> and like when he tells the story to my son, he always says, he goes, you know, I could always cut my hair. But if I had a different skin color. You know, and then and then it sinks in that type of thing. What type of uh, you know this kind of this state-sponsored discrimination, socially sponsored discrimination that's really going against oil and gas right now? Talk to me a little bit about that, how you view it, especially with your upbringing. Because I don't know if you want to give your age, but you know, you obviously uh, you're a little uh, bit older uh, than me. Yeah, well, seventy-six. <laughs> uh, I I was a part of the first the uh, you know I think the first. Uh, really positive economic step taken by the United States after World War II. I was a part of the completion of the interstate highway system, which was the internet of its time. 
Now, was that the us. tail end of the New Deal? Uh, no, this uh, they they started. It was a part. It was a National Defense Act. Oh, that was Eisenhower. That was Eisenhower. But yeah. they completed. Let's say ninety-five percent of all the interstates were completed right around nineteen sixty-eight. Uh, and so you had all of a sudden a whole new industry. You know. Uh, uh, Interstate trucking and all kind. Uh, so I, I ran uh, 13 restaurants at that time back in 1970, 71, 72. I uh, had uh, three in Oklahoma, one in Texas, four in Wisconsin, one in Indiana, one in Connecticut, one up in Sauk Center, Minnesota. Anyway, but, you know, the, uh, the Sods and company, OPEC, uh, came and sort of ruined the uh, uh, the interstate for good after about 1974 because of the gas situation. But anyway, so that's my, that's my, you know, I was a part of one of these, you know, and I thought, I thought it was my sheer genius that we had 13 restaurants at one time. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just being in the right place and having at least one wit about me. Jesus Christ. Well, there's a genius in that too. Well, there's that, you know, there's that. What's the uh, Willie uh, Nelson line? See where the line is going, and then get out in front of it. <laughs> and there was a, there's a little of that. So you know, getting that's back really to where I am right now, back to you know, telecommunication, internet, broadband, cloud. You know, I mean, that's where my. Uh, it, it seems to me that's where energy is going, and that's where energy, um, oil and gas, etc., are, are going to do the most good. It's going to be the way of getting more for less. Well, as as we kind of see the world of you know wildcatting going away for oil and gas going more to the commodity based marketplace, and you know government is even kind of controlling production a little bit. It is becoming a lot like what telecommunications was. You know, you had a lot of monopoly busting going on, and you had a lot of different integration of different industries. So, you know, what type of you know similarities or different observations? Do you have from your experiences that you're seeing happening right now before our very eyes? Well, I think uh, first off, uh, you're going to have to do your own due diligence. Of course, that was always true when it when it comes to investing, when it comes to starting a business. Uh, you, you really have to pay attention. And one of the things that's hardest is it's not what's happened; it's tr- uh, trying to have your eyes open wide enough to have a reasonable idea of what's going to happen a month or two months from now. Uh, you know, uh, what you would call the middle distance in driving uh, over the, uh, the uh, you know, the front end of the car, but getting out there where you can sort of, you can balance back and forth, be sustainable, but on the other hand, you can put on the brakes, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. But I, I think um, caution has got to be, you know, I don't understand Wall Street right now. I don't under you know. By the way, I heard a fact from my friend uh, Robert Fleischman, who manages, I guess, about sixteen billion dollars in assets. Uh, but uh, he was he had a uh, a twenty-minute discussion about the markets, and he said something that just blew my mind. Uh, last year, the world wrote twenty uh, percent of all the debt that they they took on. It was the last year. So the whole world is borrowing money right now, Jason. <laughs> and right, and and printing. So, uh, you know, it is, you know, buyer beware, baby. 
Uh, and, but the, the, the thing is, if you're into it and you can, if you can see the future a bit and start bringing it into how you operate now, I think that's, that's the way out of this dilemma. Is, uh, you know, innovate, bringing, identifying and bringing innovation in and all, oh, by the way, you got to be able to scale it. You know, forget, forget about all these good ideas that are the only, you know, They'll only go one percent of the way. You got to be able to do it all or nothing. Got a question for you here. You ready? Yeah. yeah. You sent me this article this week. Actually, I think it was earlier today, maybe yesterday. <laughs> it says uh, new data, and and I did check uh, the original source, and the original source is right. So I'm going to actually go off the original source here from the U.S. Energy uh, yeah, Information the, the, Administration. The, yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah, well, the the link you sent me was from Climate Realism, and it was a, it was just like a, a a guy from the Heartland Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, James Taylor. Yeah, and James Taylor's got good stuff, but I always like James to link to the original source. So the original source comes from the U.S. Energy Information, just so people know it's not some right, some exactly. political uh, organization here. Uh, the exactly. link you sent me. U.S. energy-related CO2 emissions declined by 11% in 2020, okay? Now, here's my question. That's that's great. Outstanding. To me, this is a trend that's been going on for the last decade, okay? Now, my question is to you, who is the one, which group is going to embrace this and brag about it? Is it both? Meaning, are the climate activists going to grab this and say, see, it's because of COVID that everybody stayed home and nobody was able driving cars right. and, and the gondoliers in uh, Venice were staying home so the dolphins could play again? Or, or is the oil and gas industry going to grab the narrative and say, so check out how much energy innovation we've done mm-hmm. that's double digit here, decreased in emission. So, well, uh, plus, Professor you know, Steve Hines, what do you think? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the greatest thing that happened... To Wait, step up to the mic real quick again. Okay. Uh, the best thing that happened to uh, uh, the, the American economy over the last 20 years is fracking. And one of the things, there are several things that are great about it, but it's a lot of the money is in small towns uh, throughout many states. And which then provide money for hospitals. Mm-hmm. It's an economic development for rural areas that the federal government will never spend money on. But people, they're, they're spending their own money on this. And, uh, I mean, you live in a state that, you know, really, honestly, you in Pennsylvania, you guys, we, all, we owe you two guys in particular a lot of credit for your work. You did it behind the scenes. Uh, you weren't very visible at the time, so you... You could you could do things without having to have the you know, league like from NRDC or Sierra Club on you, and God bless you. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, and uh, going forward, I think energy and gas has got to learn how to tell their story better. And there's just no question about it. They ha- they have let you know the environmentalists. Uh, sort of uh, take the storyline but the, the storyline for the environmentalists is going nowhere what uh, oil and gas has is economic development 
capital E, capital D. <laughs> Here's what and worries me. Here's what worries me is that, you know, we've had this big cruise shift, this kind of this retirement, you know, when, when I first started in oil and gas 10 years ago, they said by the year 2022, 2023, that 70 to 80% of the industry was going to be completely new, that they were going to be retired and a whole new crop was going to be in. And that was a big worry for them. And so they had to be very careful and they had to vet through and, they wanted to make sure that the people that were brought in understood the respect that the industry had built, that there was a, you know, this coexistence between land and energy oh, and well, ag and, and oil. A handshake, and, and old-fashioned handshake deals. I got to be honest, though. <laughs> I, I see a country club being built. And and that's what worries me is because, but well, uh, and, and listen, people can get mad at me all they want, but t- take a look at the body of the work over the last ten years. You got the you got the president of the United States trying to ban you. That's that's not mending fences. You know what I mean? Well, your background's communication, so I wanted to get your kind of your your thought about that because you you know you got an outside outside eye too. Yeah. Well, uh, well, as you know, I, as I was just telling you before, uh, I've certainly, I mean, as you've evolved your what you're doing, I'm I'm entering uh, a space right now, trying to provide uh, good, solid uh, international news to parts of the world that are are yet to go through what we've gone through. But uh, the idea being that passing th- passing through this knowledge and information so they can make better decisions as they go forward. You know, I mean, what's going on in Africa right now is just, uh, uh, and of course, China. I mean, they're building a coal-burning power plant once a week. (laughs) So, I mean, that's what is so uh, uh, ludicrous to me is that the environmental groups are doing it for the money because they aren't doing anything for the 3.6 billion people who don't get enough electricity to power a single refrigerator. You know, where, where, where's their representation? You want them to go from yeah. uh, wood chips to uh, to renewables? Are you nuts? That's, but, you know, it's, that's part of the, you know, I, I did quite a bit of traveling around the world. Admittedly, it was like 20 years or so ago, but uh, I've been to Africa and Middle East areas and stuff. And, and one of the things that struck me was that, uh, you know, we're basically asking them, you know, it was good for us. It's not good for you. Um, and, you know, restricting their ability to grow along the lines that we were well, able to grow. The, well, the International Monetary Fund, I mean, a lot of the international monies, you know, has been skewered uh, so, uh, toward renewables in Africa, mm-hmm. which is just... It's an that's an oxymoron, right? With the, right, right alongside of the United Nations. What I don't you know, understand. They have so far to go. They have so far to go. What I don't understand is how we have lost touch and why there is a disconnect. Now, keep in mind the Democrats have always prided themselves as being the humanitarian party, and we can, you know, we mm-hmm. we're trying to help people <laughs> and etc. When they're the ones leading the charge. To, oh, to be yeah. non-humanitarian because no we've got so many problems here today that, listen, I, I get I, I get your problems with coal and I get your problems with oil and gas and this and that and everything, but 
they're solving so many problems compared to what the actual reality is of the mm-hmm. science. So it what blows my mind is how we're so quickly to pick and choose the science and this and that in order to, oh, save us from the future of ourselves and in order to ignore the problems of today. But coming from a party that prides themselves at trying to help people today, it's offensive. I, I don't yeah, I, I don't I don't understand how that works. They've gone off the rails, you know, you know, as much as a decade back. But you know, this last hundred days, wow! I mean, uh, everything that I mean, we, we we are a great country, and yet our elected officials are treating us like we're dirt, and we and like we've. We've got more to, be, uh, to to apologize for than to be proud of. You know, it's just wrong. So just we, wrong. we should probably get back to ESG here for a second <laughs> uh, before we, you know. Oh, oh no, not that. <laughs> but, but before we totally end up like a bunch of crazy people at the coffee shop, just yelling at people walking in the door. Shouting at the clouds. my long hair, baby. I haven't had a haircut in 11 months. Oh, have you I'll got hippie you hair? Before. I got hippie hair. I'll send you a photo. Yeah, we got to see that. Well, they used to call it COVID hair, but COVID now, hair. but now yeah, the, the place hair. is open up yeah. again. So now, now you're just a hippie again. It's hippie hair. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I I went into my hippie phase when I moved out to New York City, like 1974. So let my hair grow, and uh, I went to school at Columbia. I think I told you that studying yeah. American <laughs> poetry. Uh, but I, you know, I just. I hippieized myself quickly, and it took me years to come back <laughs> to Sanhedrin. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. A lot, a lot of the uh, kind of the hippie movement is against ESG. <laughs> really? Oh, a lot of them, they, they can see through it. Well, they see that it's, uh, it's a money grab. Just more bureaucracy. Oh, a lot of it is. Yeah, well, yeah, well and it's, a, it's another vehicle for the financial world to make money. And, yep. and and they can get a higher margin for it because it has sex appeal. I don't like the rank prejudice that I see. How they, it's another way for them to pick and choose who they want to do business with. Oh, I think that's you know what I what really offends me right now, and that is people like Michael Bloomberg. You know he should have to do a full disclosure on all the different things he has going because he he works for the UN. He's got a close relationship with the uh, European Union. Uh, he's on. He's heads the committee for the SEC to figure out a way to to incorporate ESG into uh, things. But he's and he's got, of course, his newspaper. He does. You know, he made seven or eight billion dollars when he went over to China. Uh, and that was some a few years back. But the guy, you know, I mean, if you've ever seen anything he says about China. Uh, it would have scared the hell out of you because he really wanted to treat, uh, you know, China uh, in a, in a equal and friendly way, which ain't the way it's going to work. But that, you know, the real compromise right right now is the uh, the money in China. It's a lot of their money is going into Africa right now, mm-hmm. uh, sponsoring utilities by you know. Uh, coal burning roads infrastructure yeah they're exactly yeah they're paying attention to things well you know they're they're, in one way they really get their foothold in africa on the other hand africa can say goodbye i don't recognize you anymore thank you for the infrastructure (laughs) so it's it's you know they're they're taking their own chances but they're 
they're definitely spreading their money around right now. Uh, South America, the same thing. Are you still working these days, or are you retired, or what's going on? No, no, well, you know, Jesus, I uh, uh, I, I probably spend 45, 50 hours a week, but I, I'm more I'm more of a, uh, what do I want to say, a researcher and communicator. I'm trying to build what I call a tabernacle choir for energy, hmm. and that is experts, uh, you know, climatologists, but each one has their own place in the choir, their important we're on the same. We're singing from the same page, uh, but they don't make any of us know too much. Like you know, they, a, a, a Renaissance man. None of us. It's, it's too late to be a Renaissance man. You can quote me on that. Does this Mormon uh, and, and, choir of yours make money? Mormon, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Yes. Does, does uh, this Mormon Energy Company make money or? Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm, okay. I'm self-appointed. I'm still, <laughs> I, I still believe, you know, my friend out in Washington tells me uh, I, if I was in front of his audience, some of his people, he'd bill me out at 600 bucks an hour. And I believe that. But I'm doing it. Uh, you know, I'm doing it because I want to. But I want to make a little dough here. So but, I was going to uh, I was going to say, what's um, dough doesn't come first. What's your company uh, website and uh, how can people, uh, you know, get in touch with you if they want to do some research and you know because at the end of the day you know you are a published author and you know you are a researcher and you do have credentials oh i have a bunch and i have huh. uh, yeah. uh, uh excuse me for my lack of modesty but i also have some very uh, as you know as you do i have some very um, let's say smart qualified position people in this discussion uh, both nationally and internationally uh, and there, yeah, that's the, that, those are the members that belong in the choir. You know, these people that carry their own weight and and they bring their own scholarship and they, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, I I don't I'm promoting my you know my the people I uh, I respect the most, whether it's Paul Dreesen or Robert Bryce or uh, what's his name Ron Stein or any number of people. But I so I promote their ideas. Uh, and representing, you know, what's happening here, and and I get them much more exposure. So I don't, you know, I I, I just feel good uh, making other people look good. All right, we got to when they deserve it. We we got to wrap her up here. So any final thoughts as we kind of? Yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, you know the environmental groups are making all the money, and the people who are working for the good of energy and economic development are scratching around. That's that's what I got to say. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. Uh, I, I, let me give you a good example why it doesn't seem fair. Uh, the uh, the national uh, the conservancy. I'm trying to think what's the, this uh, this uh, national group, national conservancy. They are got themselves in trouble lately. Why? Because they were given they were deeded uh, a bunch of land. Now they're a billion dollar a year. They they, they receive a billion dollars a year in donations. And who knows what else before grants and all the other stuff. But they were selling off uh, uh, offsets. They were selling off emission offsets. And uh, they were doing it from land that they didn't have a right to do it from. But there are all kinds of legal issues out there for these guys if they try and play... If they if they do if they try and do more than just a little politics if they try to play economics they got trouble. 
There are conflicts coming out there out of every pore in their body. Well, she's domesticated, knows how to use a map and brew. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Lauren Scott, energy expert and economist, as well as Professor Emeritus at Louisiana State University. This is Dr. Lauren Scott. What my expectations are that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna solve they may be able to solve that problem over time. Uh, uh, we are a nation of smart, clever capitalists. And so my expectations are that they will they will resolve these problems. But in the meantime, it is it is you know this this transition to EVs is not going to take place quickly. What not with those kind of and, and also I mentioned forgot to mention one other gateway problem that is that if you have to replace the battery in that Tesla three sixteen thousand five hundred and fifty bucks to replace that sucker. Now, that, for that reason, most of these batteries are guaranteed for eight years or 100,000 miles. But uh, in, in, the, in the EV, is a simpler car, so there should be hopefully less trouble with it. But if that battery goes out, you know, prepare yourself because you have to sell part of the house. Too. So, so there's some pretty serious barriers to those suckers just immediately coming in. So the transition time. From us to go uh, from EVs to uh, the internal combustion engine, I, I want to suggest to you it's going to take a long time. They're not going to be able to do this by 2030, I don't think. This is just going to take a very long time to convince people to do this. To listen to the full-length interview with Dr. Lauren Scott, Professor Emeritus at Louisiana State University and President of Lauren Scott & Associates, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
While you're there, be sure to check out our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts by clicking on our social media tab. We have the YouTubes, the Facebooks, even the Twitters are now at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking and always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. Change happens no matter whether somebody gets oil or not. All the stories my dad taught to me She taught me again my, Me personally, he said, I do well in my business and I have minerals, but I'd personally not like to see this come. And I said, you know what, Every it, it may not be as bad as you think. It. She taught me well and she taught me right She taught me how to see and so I, you know, swerved for the ditch. Um, I ended up with, uh, I don't remember how many broken ribs. You know, my lung collapsed. I'm, you know, uh, broke my wrist, broke my shoulder, broke a vertebrae, my foot, my knee, my. Um, but my kids were all with me. And never fall too far away. And never be away too long. But then I understand where ranchers are coming from now that I do ranch it too, where it's frustrating when you've got them going through their land, the pipelines. And, um, We've got roughly 2,100 people homeless in North Dakota, about 1,400 of them unsheltered. She told me about a long, long road have to walk down. So he kicked his window out and he jumped out and he ran to stop this truck that I had hit. There'd be no one to take my place, no one to wear this crown. He gets out in the ditch and he ran in front of the truck and he's waving and screaming and yelling. She told me about the strength that I need and where it could be found. He jumped up on the running board of the truck and he was like, help, help, mom needs help, call 911. And the guy, like, turned his head away from him. Down. Tree 
everybody right the way you'd want to be. If you're not sharing, then I'm not going to work with you because I won't accomplish my dream, right? And never be way too long. Never go alone. The greatness of this country was the fact that we had great leaders. And now there's pressure on people to win, get money, do this, cut the system down. The Bernie Madoffs, blah, 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 goes on. We've lost our moral compass. Honestly, we all work for money, you know, so I, I went out there for the money. If you find yourself out there, just remember you can always come home crazy, it's dangerous, and I honestly, I mean, it's going to be a long time before I let my kids drive on those roads. It's not the same as when we grew up. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.